can say. I'm out here doing everything you suck as cake. To a million from some bands trying to bust the bank. Welcome to Break Some Dishes today, and we're really excited, as we always are. How could you not be excited for another episode of Break Some Dishes? But we're here today with two fabulously creative designers, Todd Bracher and Tina Chang, and they're going to talk to us today about some of the things that that they are up to, and they're doing a ton, uh, like a lot of talented people are these days. So I'm not going to overdo it with the introduction. I'm just going to say welcome, Todd and Tina, and thanks for joining us today on Break Some Dishes. Yeah. Okay, John. That was really short. <laughs> uh, all right. Maybe a little shorter than I was expecting. Oh, yeah. I can. Did, all right. Well, I, you said short, but sweet. All right. Bro. Let me add a little. Add your bit. two cents. You have actually been working with Todd for a number of years. I met Todd. Well, I didn't meet Todd, but I got to get to know him a little bit better through you at a pop up when you work for Human Scale because Todd's oh, doing a lot of work Milan. for Human Scale in Milan. Yeah. yeah, so he's a industrial designer, product designer, but that description just is not enough to really define what he does. And him and his partner Tina have really now taken on some really interesting social and environmental projects through their firm and a, a what do you want to call it a division of their company. So we're really excited to talk to them today. Cool. Thanks for adding that, Verda. Yeah, John, do your job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Good morning, Todd and Tina. Welcome to Break Some Dishes podcast. That's my sound effect. (laughs) Break Some Dishes. (laughs) We'll add that later, John. (laughs) We're low low budget around here, so I'm in charge of the sound effects. But we're excited to have both of you on and to, to lay it out a little bit, Todd and Tina. Um, Verda and I really try hard to find conversations that are that are inspiring that we can bring to the design community. And we obviously are really focused on sustainability and the environment because these issues are so pressing right now. And we think that design can have such a, a huge impact on, on the environment, which it hasn't, you know, we, we, we feel it hasn't done enough yet. So we're here to do some saber rattling and, and talk to people that are doing things that are outside the box to use a horrible cliche, but, you know, I also want to know how your mind works when you're doing things like this and, you know, what it is that you think about and, and what it is that's important to you and, and what you want to bring to design. And Todd, I've heard you talk about honest design before, and I, I kind of thought it would be interesting to start things out just hearing your perspective on that. Yeah, sure. Well, first off, thank you guys for having Tina and I here. And it's a always fun to talk about design and especially with you guys and uh and to get it out there with folks that share like mind i guess you can say so thank you for this opportunity honest design for us is it's interesting because it's what i guess I've refer to as truthful design and the way that i frame it is you know we take a walk in a park and if we look at a tree uh, without sounding cliche i i think we look at a tree and just evaluate it as beautiful and then we just accept it and I think we see a tree is just is what it is. Uh, meanwhile, a tree is a result of an ecosystem, right? It's uh, how much rain or sunlight or nutrition, et cetera, that's surrounding it. If there's an infestation of insects or you, you name it, it's a result of an ecosystem, seasons, changes, climate, et cetera. Whereas 
I don't think you judge it and say that's a beautiful tree or an ugly tree. I think you just accept it. So we look at a car. We go now and we take out of the park, we look at a car and you might say, well, now I don't like the shape of this curve or I don't like the color blue or whatever it might be. And I think that's valid because the car is an opinion. A car is someone's fabrication, right? And whereas a tree is just a natural result of an ecosystem. So for us, how we work, the way we think about design is we try to plug in an ecosystem. We try to think holistically about all the touch points that inform and govern the result. And it could be pretty complex, but it's important. And therefore, what drives out the result is what we think is a truthful point of view. Now, is it perfectly resolved like a tree is? No, unfortunately, because we are human, but we try to get as close as we can to that and therefore have a reason for everything and a place for everything and not just it's not based on aesthetics or cosmetics. Uh, we don't want to be in a place of, of the response that you get when you look at, let's say, a car or fender that you just don't like the shape. We want it to be rooted in truth and purpose and logic, and uh, which also is relative to culture, relative to the business, relative to manufacturing, like you name it, ecology. So all those things line up and deliver us what we call truthful design, and that's what we think is honest. And I think rooted in our collective futures, and you mentioned that specifically, and you have these four principles, kind of like Dieter Rahm's 10 principles on your website. And it, this could be the, our motto from Break Some Dishes that you, yeah. let's see, I'm going to read it right here, that you challenge clients to challenge the norms. And that's exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for, for people that challenge the norms, just like you are, to act in yeah. responsible ways for our collective future. And I think that part of truthful design needs to be the truth for our future. And so so, so it goes beyond sustainability, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I also think, and I think it's interesting that truth continues to expand and evolve as well. It's not so fixed as, you know, we maybe once thought it was. I think that the way that we've been evolving our work is we're really kind of looking at what the total impact of our work is. And it's not just the product itself or the experience we're designing or brand that we're building, but how does that actually impact society and the people who are using it? You know, like from an industrial side, we always take into consideration all the material processes, the sustainability aspect, but sustainability has gotten so much bigger and it's really about, you know, inclusivity and societal health long-term. And we really look to be stewards of that. Yeah. And this yeah. idea of regenerative systems and all of our products and things coming back around full circle. Absolutely. I mean, you look at design over the last, well, I don't even know how long actually, but designers themselves are somewhat powerless because design, I guess, typically is inserted at the tail end of an act, of any sort of business venture traditionally, right? It's like the business idea is in place. Uh, they're, okay, now who can give it a shape and then get it out into the world, right? And so the way we fit in is a little bit different. Uh, we want to be part of the birthing of the idea. And, uh, and guiding this idea through the process because we see that it's easy to sort of make the typical path that's always been and the processes and material choices and design has, I guess you could say to make the true influence you want to be in on the ground floor. And then we can make an actual influence in how businesses are operating and executing. And I think that's where we're most effective. So we are product people, but more than that in some ways is we are problem solvers and strategists and we're there to think through and not only how to generate an interesting business and grow the business but also to deliver 
in a contemporary way to a contemporary market. And I think that we, we are essentially the translators, I guess you could say, between contemporary culture and the business's objectives. Right. I just listened to this great speaker about the circular economy, and he says, we, you can't have one unless it starts with design, and design is mm-hmm. an integral part of it. And I think that is one of the issues, is that designers need to get involved way earlier. We had an early interview on our podcast, John. Remind me who that was that said waste is a design flaw. And that was, mm-hmm. Todd knows him, that, that was David Stover from Borreo. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. great, great comment. Totally true. And I think businesses that don't embrace design at that foundational level, they will die. <laughs> I think they will struggle over the long term. And uh, times are changing, and there's a complex, nuanced understanding that they need for today's market. And it's not enough. A PL is not going to shake that information out, in my opinion. Well, I think, you know, also there's a language there where so many manufacturers like to say that they're steeped in tradition. You know, they're manufacturing with processes that were created, you know, 80 years ago, or, you know, we make it the way my grandfather made it. And you're basically saying, hey, maybe that's not such a good thing. Like tradition is good, but there's a balance. I mean, even those traditional crafts, they've evolved over time and like technology has continued to, to evolve. So I think any business today that's leveraging their legacy, I think the DNA needs to be preserved. And like, what is that DNA that defines their unique differentiation? Right. And uh, whereas maybe the way they're executing could be just evolved and brought forward. And that's where we fit in. We help maintain their DNA and help them think through it's like being, it's like who you are, but in today's context and in, the, in tomorrow's context and not clinging on to the past, uh, we can evolve and find new, new fertile territory. Yeah. Well, how do you do this? Like, how do you hold their hand through this transition? Right. You're talking about bringing a lot of voices, I imagine, to the table. Yeah. I mean, I think we bring, we bring voices and we bring expertise. And I think when we, I mean, I think it's firstly t- really understanding what the challenges are, right? And understanding the pain points, pain points that the client is going through and how they want to evolve. And then bringing our experience and our resources to the table to help them. And I think once we, I, I think because we're able to help articulate a vision and a path to where we all want to go together, it becomes a lot easier. And uh, I mean, it's not always easy. It's It's quite challenging to grow and to evolve. But I think that there's a belief in the the destination um, that we then are able to bring our resources and experts and global resources to the table to help solve. I want to see pictures or examples or, or maybe have be walked through <laughs> a project. And also, I had no idea that you guys started a spinoff, I guess, Better Lab. Yeah, Would, yeah that's that right. Be the right way to describe that. Yeah, I guess so. It's something that's been uh, in our head for a long time. And um, so we are surrounded by what we call experts. And uh, so when needed, as Tina mentioned, we tailor teams to tackle complex problems. So sometimes uh, they we need specific expertise, let's say to insert, it might be physics, it might be uh, electrical science, it might, it might be material science, you name it. It might be complex things that are beyond, let's say, our capabilities. And if we're only operating within our capability or our skill set, uniquely our team, then it might be limiting, actually, when we know the best, the best uh, tool for this particular need 
is someone else. And uh, so we've built roughly 19 or so experts that we lean on uh, as we evolve into opportunities. But within that, we've also stumbled into like just beautiful sciences, beautiful technology solutions, inventors that are doing things that like you just don't know about, you don't hear about, and they don't right. know necessarily how to get it out of the lab. And, uh, but they're, it's incredible. And uh, so what better lab is it's a platform that we've launched last year where we are partnering with these scientists, with inventors that they're welcome to, we, we have an open door for scientists or inventors that want to talk about how to get their ideas out of the lab. And what we say into the, into your life. So using again, the lens of design, the tools of design, to help build the strategy around inserting this technology in a relevant way to, to our world, but in a way that's improving our lives. It's not just, it's not about consumption here. It's about building businesses, but it's about building businesses that improve the quality of life. And uh, so this is what Better Lab has been born to do. Yeah, we love our scientists, right, Bert? We love our, I was about to say, yeah. we love our scientists, John, don't we? Yeah, man. We, you know, we used to, I think when we first started, we sort of had this pact that we would never bring anybody on the podcast that was smarter than us. <laughs> but we quickly found out that everybody we brought on the podcast was smarter than we are. So we had a real problem with that. But I, I told Verda one time, I said, I love that we're bringing these people on that are sort of like, you know, they have this, they nerd out or they geek out over this particular topic and you see their passion and you know that they're passionate about it. And it could be something like an algae bloom or green ammonia or mushroom packaging, but that's their thing. And I, we, we said that it's a shame that in the design industry, it's so difficult to hear their voice because these people are going to go do a talk at a conference that's like, you know, the Bioengineering Society of America conference, you know, and they'll all go there and they'll deliver these great talks and we never get to hear it. So that was something that we really decided we wanted to try to do was find these scientists, these mad scientists and find sources of inspiration in their storytelling. Beautiful, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. And so I think that Better Lab, I think you're onto something there, right? Yeah. And just to give a couple of examples, like one of one of the projects that we're really excited to be working on in Better Lab is an eyewear brand for kids that um, helps to prevent uh, myopia. Basically, it's a an, an preventative solution that actually helps healthy eye development in young children. We are increasingly having a greater levels of myopia in our society because of the lack of natural light that we're exposing ourselves to, especially at a young age. And so with increased screen time, as well as the way that our buildings and schools are being constructed in cities, we're just not getting the amount of natural light that we we need for healthy eye development. And so we learned about this issue actually through a scientist collaborator of ours. He also had technology that could help you know, solve this problem, but he didn't know how to package it and get it to the world. And so we, so we've been working with him to develop eyewear that can actually improve the health, eye health of kids. So we're super excited about that. And, and think about it. I mean, there's, there's a, a, a large majority of 
it's a growing uh, epidemic, actually. And that's not something that folks are really that aware of. And it's a lar- large majority of folks in Asia are struggling from it, of uh, kids. And it's arriving here. I think there's, we're just not tracking it as well stateside. And on a percentage of roughly 10% of these folks go blind within their lifetime. So it's a real problem. It's solvable. We have this technology today and it costs nearly nothing to package it and get it out there. So like, what are we waiting for? So like, that's really, again, one of the flags for Better Lab is saying, okay, we can, we can get this funded and go and get it out there and start, start putting it on kids' eyes and start helping them. And uh, so why wouldn't we? And, and also, like, when we talk about total impact design, it's, for us, it's not just about selling one more, you know, one more pair of glasses, but it's actually increasing the access and awareness to this understanding that sunlight, natural light actually helps improve your, your children's vision. So for people who don't have access to the glasses, they start to, if we can get the story out there through great brand storytelling, through activations, then we're able to also spread that knowledge that parents can just get their children outside more as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I don't think anybody's going to come out of this pandemic saying, oh, my eyes are so much better now than they were before. <laughs> Right. I mean, this this pandemic is going to do so much to us that we don't know yet. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but Todd, my I have a passion, and Verda knows that we rarely get through an episode of Break Some Dishes without talking about plastic. Mm-hmm. And so, I want to talk with you a little bit about materials, and just to get your opinion on how you look at because. I don't want to categorize you as a product designer because you're a lot more than a product designer. I look at you as somebody that is, you translate the language of design for for companies that are trying to bring something really cool to market. And that's going to happen in a number of different ways. But take me into the microcosm of materials for a minute. and I want to know what you think about it in terms of what are we using these days to make stuff? Yeah, so materials, it's a comp- that's a complicated, as you know, conversation. And there's costs related to it. There's the actual cycle of where does material go? You know, a lot of brands are out there saying we have this recyclable chair, recyclable or sustainable chair. But the chair ends up in the landfill because there's not a company in the planet or at least not an easy path to get it to the facilities that do recycle them and will grind them up, et cetera. So most would end up in the landfill anyway, as you know. And uh, so it's a sort of false narrative to say that, yeah, great, you're doing sustainable design when in fact, in theory, yes, but in practice, it's not. So we're we're excited to actually mention that we've been working with HumanScale, as you know, for a long period of time, uh, I guess now going on 10 years or so. And uh, we're introducing a new product in the summer which is actually a sustainable product. Actually, it's a net positive product. And um, and for those folks that don't know what that means, net positive meaning it does more positive to the environment than negative. So from each of these items that are sold, it's quote unquote footprint or it's how it's what it's leaving behind is better. The world, the environment is actually getting better the more that this product is sold and shipped. And uh, so, and therefore, the material choices within that are diversion of waste, let's say, more than recyclability. Uh, and waste diversion is huge. And I think when you start looking at sort of the numbers of waste diversion versus recycling plastic, it's a bigger concern right now of waste diversion. It's just an enormous mountain of waste that's just constantly piling. Whereas if we can take things out of that 
that destiny and divert it into our product, into a product that you'll live with for a very long time. And uh, then then we know we're doing the right thing. So well, because we don't recycle things. So let's stop fooling ourselves. Right. And we're not successfully recycling them, at least not yet. So that's exactly right. So what we're doing is trying to deal with things specifically around diversion as a major one. And then and then designing them in ways that they can completely come apart when ready. When the end of life is reached, they completely come disassembled. And then for technologies that are able to recycle them. And we're working with our partners to then get these things to the recycling facilities. That's the sort of last piece of the puzzle. Uh, And then some other materials, such as aluminum, which you know we all live with all day long, is one of the best materials for recyclability. And uh, it will be scavenged no matter where you leave it. So it's got value that's constantly increasing. So simple choices to switch to aluminum uh, are, are have a huge impact in the, in a product's recyclability. And it doesn't require heavy metals or any negative chrome platings, we'll call it, uh, that get poured into the rivers uh, in lots of parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So, so anyhow, Is there's it- a, a lot of choices around material that are not only... We're not looking for recyclability and just putting a stamp on it. We're trying to divert material waste. We're trying to deal with uh, disassembly. We're trying to make, at the end of the day, our, our products that are actually better for the world and not just saying that they could be in theory. Yeah, yeah, that's authentic sustainability. Not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to. <laughs> Is it, were you able to get it redless free? Or yes. almost redless free or mostly redless free? Yeah, it'll be the most, yes, and it'll be the most sustainable product in its category by far. And the interesting thing is the, the next one in the category is a human scale product as well. And then the next one is another human scale product. So just also credit to human scale because without them, we couldn't do any of this. This is uh, human scale has been paving the way. We are a sort of a passenger with human scale who's... 100% credit to them having created this supply chain, having created these relationships that we could then leverage as designers. And uh, and and Bob, as you know, the uh, the founder of HumanScale, uh, is passionate about making this material change. And I don't think gets credit for it. So we're excited to work with such a partner to really bring really a real world change at scale. That's the other thing. It's nice to do one nice thing for yourself, but to do it at the scale that these products are shipping, it's making a material impact. So we give, you know, a hundred percent of the credit to human scale to be able to do this. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've mentioned human scale way too many times in the last <laughs> two minutes. People are going to think we're, we're going to get ad. edited out. <laughs> What's your biggest, I've heard you, you know, talk about some of the challenges in design today. What are some of the challenges that you think we have to overcome Besides the obvious, like obviously sustainable design is a big one, but. Yeah. So the way I look at it for me, this, some of the challenges, not, it's not only about sustainability, right? It's not only about responsible design. Uh, our function is to design what we say for contemporary culture. And what do we mean by that? And so just sort of off the top of my head, right? We have just what is today, the consumer of today, the sort of people of today. And we are these people, right? We care about inclusivity responsibility and sustainability, right? Responsible design with thoughtful design, right? That's considered. Uh, We care about social relevance, personalization, mobility, honesty and directness and informality. I mean, these are just some of the things that define what what it is to be alive today in contemporary culture. And where we engage with clients and the work that we do needs to touch all these boxes and more and not just 
look nice. Tina, I think one of the, as I was saying before, one of the things that Verda and I have found is, as we've talked to so many guests on this podcast is sustainability, right? Environmental responsibility has evolved into social responsibility. You owe it to our global community, right? Have you thought about that in the work that you do? Yeah. Um, I mean, we certainly do that. And I think conventionally or traditionally industrial designers haven't had as much of a say in, in what happens, uh, you know, how you communicate the product, but we see design as a continuum. And so when we partner with our clients, we're, we try to influence decisions as early as possible. So from the strategy side, we start to understand what is the target, what are the multiple goals that we have. They're both quantitative business goals as well as qualitative. What are we actually trying to give to our audience, our customers, our community? And as we work through the process from design into industrial, uh, into production and manufacturing, and ultimately in communications, we also partner with many of our clients to communicate how that product goes to market, what it looks and feels like, what we're trying to say with it. And we do use that as an opportunity to influence the social aspects of the design. So for example, the the chair that we're launching for, I won't say the name, but the, the chair that we're launching that will be net positive and very sustainable, we're utilizing that as an opportunity to talk to our customers about the choices that they make. We're providing a better alternative and we're leading that conversation with positivity. We're not saying shame on you for not making better choices because there are none. <laughs> And so we're trying to do both. We're trying to inspire and influence um, better decision-making as consumers. Well, do you think about this eyewear brand that you're working with? That could be something that can have a huge social impact. Absolutely, yeah. Do you think about designing it in a way that it's something that everybody has access to? Absolutely. And that's from the inception of that idea is we'd like to give it to the masses. It's something that's exclusive, you know, eyewear company. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys say on your website, doing less bad is not good enough. And I think, yeah, you were just talking about how there's not any good choices, but I think that we're at a precipice here where we really can't, just can't make a bad choice just because it's the only choice there is. And it's it's a hurdle that I hope we can all overcome. Yeah. I it think. is interesting. Sorry, Tina, go ahead. Go ahead. There's, no, it's, it's true. It's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I, I'm only making a very, very quick insert, but Todd and I are definitely very aligned on this one point, is that if we can't make a good choice that we feel right about, we just don't make it. Like we'd rather live without furniture than to buy, you know, something shitty that we have to throw away. And that just adds, we, you know, we're not, we don't like to be in the process of making landfill or um, consuming landfill. So we're really trying to think about the broader impacts of our actions and our, our choices and, and the choices that we can offer to others with the tools that we have. And, and I think as designers, we have, you know, sometimes, I don't know, I guess in the middle of the night sort of thing, you wake up saying, wait a second, you know, I have two small boys and, and I think of how uh, their future is going to look, right? And and then I say, well, hold on a second. We you know, our, our small team here, we could make a material difference. And um, because we make things like we guide in the hands of people that manufacture and companies that manufacture. And I realized, well, so therefore we need to guide them in the right path. And I think that's, 
that's empowering and we get really excited by that. And, um, cause it does feel hopeless sometimes you go, Oh my God, the world we've got. And it's just, it's like spiraling in some kind of crazy direction. But I do wake up excited by the fact that we have real opportunities at scale to make a material change. I think I, change, things can change and might change more quickly than we imagine. And I think it's these, you guys, the trailblazers that are setting the way. I don't think we have to convince 100% of the people that climate change is happening. I think we just need to have ten, five or 10% of super committed people leading the way and, and showing everybody else how it's done. And I think that there will be a tipping point and a turning point at some, yeah. I mean, COVID thankfully, I think has accelerated this completely, yes. right? And, and, and we can get into why, but I think the sort of return to normal, I, I feel like it's a, I don't know, a passing of the torch in a way to the new generation of saying, we're not going to accept how things were. And I think this that's excites us. Uh, we're really, really excited by that. There's so many decisions, I think, people have to be willing to make tough decisions. And it starts with the consumer that says, well, I really like the fact that I can get this plastic lawn chair for under $10. I can get five of them now, you know, and Mm -hmm. that's so cheap. I'm going to get them to the manufacturer that has to say, you know what? Yeah, we could probably sell a $10 plastic lawn chair, but you know what? We're not going to do it because that's going to last about a year and a half and break and be in a landfill. And then it's a designer that has to say to a manufacturer, yeah, we get it. There's a market out there for a $10 plastic lawn chair, but we don't design those. And there's and, one other there's that one other piece to that. It's the legislator that says, all right, you make that $10 lawn chair, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to charge you for, for that thing to go to the landfill mm-hmm. and then it's going to yeah. cost more. So there, there are, you know, I think yeah. the individual has a part the the designer the the business has a part and then government and legislators can really move the needle you know Bert, i think you're right and i think the design is becoming a uh a vocabulary even for it's starting to get there for the policymakers and i think that's gonna have a huge influence and you're seeing it i think it's starting to creep in with uh, the auto industry in terms mm-hmm. of uh, electrical vehicle electric vehicles etc so i think that type of thinking and understanding the positive like repercussions of these decisions, I think can easily extend. And when, you know, when manufacturing then is uh, incentivized to operate in a green way and, 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 and you can still grow, uh, that's where it's fantastic. And, you know, I look, we visit a lot of factories, we spend a lot of time there and, and they talk about how, you know, no one knows how to do this thing anymore. This like craft is dying and all this stuff. But at the same time, there's this huge emergence of new technologies and like people that have to operate this new equipment and new ways and uh, with new material. And like no one's really talking about that. They're saying, oh, we're losing, you know, the sawmill or something. And, you know, I get it. But there's also new, new technologies, new programming, new skills that are being evolved left and right. Again, I think about my boys and I think they're, you know, what language is their future? It's coding, right? It's not going to be the stuff I grew up with. And I think that's great. And like, we need to usher in new ways of thinking at at all levels, at all touch points. Yeah. Who would have thought the auto industry, I just saw just this morning on TV that as a Jaguar, another, another manufacturer, auto manufacturer is going to go all electric by, I don't know, 2025, 2030, something like that. And who would have thought five years ago that we'd we'd see all these car makers jumping on board and trying to get rid of fossil fuel. I think our industry not product, but 
interiors is so mm-hmm. incredibly wasteful and mm-hmm. you've got these short-term leases and turnover and all of this material yeah. that just gets <laughs> taken yeah. to the dumpster and and yeah. policy has been i know interface carpet lobbied in california to have 25 percent of carpet waste be m- mandated to be recycled and I, we need a lot more programs like that it's hard you know we come in as well at the beginning and not necessarily at the end and maybe we write those this into our specs that things need to get recycled but we're not there to to watch it but i think our our industry really needs a, an overhaul and we've been looking at, at it at o plus a just recently trying to trying to get on board as quickly as possible as soon as you start looking at what you're doing <laughs> like, oh my god right yeah yeah i think it's challenging when you're in the design role because you could, as a designer, you know, Vert at O plus A, you could have had a client and maybe you had this aspiration of designing space for them that was off the hook, right, with all the right decisions. And then the client says, well, you know, we're not, we're not going to do that. We don't believe in it or we don't have the money for it. And then you end up adjusting your scope and giving the client what they want. Yeah. And it, it wasn't right. Yeah. So it's it's a tough role to be in, I think. You know, we we hold our designers up to the standard and it's 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 not easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. We have to create those better alternatives. I worry, listen, I worry about, you know, as the auto industry goes electric, mm-hmm. what is the fossil fuel industry going to do? There's going to be a huge push to consume more mm-hmm. plastic. Mm-hmm. Because that's plastic is made up of mm-hmm. of oil. Ninety percent of the toxic materials on this planet are petroleum based. Mm-hmm. So those producers aren't going to go away overnight. So as a as a global community, we need to kind of hold firm, be aware of this, educate, you know, and resist that because it's going to happen. What do you do, Todd and Tina? You know, when you when you look at making that decision. There's got to be a lot of stress points to avoiding making the, maybe there's well, a decision for, that's a good business decision. It's going to save so much yeah. money per product. Well, I think to be fair, and maybe Tina's got a, a different take on it. I'm curious actually to hear Tina. Um, but my, my quick point of view on it is I don't think there's a perfect answer. And I think there's a lot of pressure for businesses that want to do better, we'll say, but maybe don't have all the answers yet. So therefore there's hesitation or fear or, you know, is it the right thing or wrong thing? And, and I, you know, something's better than nothing, but like push as far as you can and inform yourself and, and do the best you can. And now it doesn't mean do this little as you can, but do the best you can and learn from it. And then next steps, take the next push And so I don't think there is, you know, I don't think you get a a designer can step in on day one and like solve all problems on day two and everyone's happy on day three. I don't think it necessarily works that way. It's an, it's a process. It's an evolution. So I think in sort of response, it's more about showing up is better than avoiding it. Right. And just wrestling through it and trying to inform yourself and get surrounded by decisions that, that are in the right direction is the best thing I can do. The best thing I, I can suggest. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think we just have to nudge, you know, where we can. And we 
try to help. We, we try to make the best decisions we can, given everything we know. We share that with our clients to help them make more sound decisions and evolve what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Is there something on the boards that you guys are super excited about that's really pushing the needle? So, I mean, a couple of things. So, like some of which we've we've chatted over, but we think there's another whole space that's fascinating to us too, and it's also just around personal well-being. We're not always needing to make stuff, right? Like, there's also the ability to transform how you feel, and uh, we've had an experience recently. Uh, a new business we're looking into right now, a potential venture around um, breath work. And uh, so you say, well, wait a second, you guys are industrial designers and strategists. What does breath work have to do with what you do? And again, it's part of our Better Lab where uh, this individual has uh, an incredible breath work platform of hers. And, uh, and we potentially will help her bring it to the masses through a digital platform. And, uh, so for us, it's shocking how, if you haven't done it, it's incredible. And, uh, if you have, you know, we talk about, it's, I guess, another way of, if our metric is how can we improve our world? It doesn't always mean we have to build the thing. Like it might mean it's also just how do you connect people to improve your world? If that makes sense. We're excited about something like this. This is a new, uh, new, a new space for us in some ways. Uh, we work closely with a business called Time Shifter around jet lag and helping them, helping folks shift their circadian clock to for peak performance. So whether it's travel, whether it's uh, athletes, uh, they've they're actually uh, just learned this week that they are shifting the clocks from uh, at JPL in uh, California in the Jet Propulsion Lab to make sure all the workers that are monitoring the the rover that's about to land on Mars or is it tomorrow? is on Wednesday, on Thursday this week is, uh, they're shifted to Mars time. So they're operating under, uh, optimal conditions. So again, there's other ways of working with businesses that are, that we hadn't, not, let's say not this traditional way to look at it. We're not always here to build and ship something in a big box. We think there's other ways of impacting life. That's, that's really inspiring. I love that. I, it reminds me of AIA kind of putting that charter out. It's better not to build and you're like, yeah. what? That's, that's, your life. that's livelihood, right? But yeah. I, it, it is speaking to something really revolutionary, I think, and that we're, we all need to craft a new, I guess, way of life or economic model for ourselves where we, we aren't just making things all the time, right? Yeah. And it's okay to, it's okay if you're somebody who makes things, it's okay to say making things isn't always good. And we need to make fewer things. Something's going to take the place in mm-hmm. that conversation. Be the person who, who's a part of that, mm-hmm. right? It's, oh my God, I, I'm a coal miner. I've always been a coal miner. We have to continue to mine coal or I'm not going to have a job. Well, actually, there's going to be alternatives, right? right. It's, if coal mining goes away, something's going to take its place. So be there when that right. happens. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. What? I'm looking at this tree in your in your picture behind you, Tina. Oh. Yeah, and it reminds me of our podcast that we did uh, just last week with Brian Kelly, who um, is this. Uh, I was taught. I was telling you, he's this amazing photographer who has decided he wants to preserve trees and forests, but knowing he can't preserve them because you can't control disease and you can't control somebody cutting down a tree, but he wants to preserve the memory legacy of 
the legacy of the tree. Mm -hmm. And there's even champion trees all over the countryside. And he goes and he takes photographs of these champion trees, you know? And so Todd, it goes back to what you were saying. <laughs> we, can, we can preserve the legacy mm. of some of these traditions and respect them mm -hmm. at the same time, let, letting them go. Well, well, so like if you take, so my father was a cabinet maker. Uh, I was also trained as one. And you, know, you look at woodworking and the, and the beauty that comes with this. What it really is, it's a mastering of a material. It's an attention to detail. It's an understanding of how humidity affects uh, also this material. How how do you deal with structure with this material? Like all these sort of layers that go into the mastery of that material. It doesn't mean it's only wood. There's millions of materials that you could be working with and demonstrate a mastery. And so craft, for some reason, tends to point to some kind of legacy or some sort of ancient type of material. But, uh, you know, there's there's craft in 3D printing. You know, there's no question it's craft in new technologies. And I think that's where it's exciting is to start to embrace that in a, in a way that that doesn't feel like we're turning our back on these sort of legacy type type activities, such as woodworking, which uh, we're not. So it's very interesting to me. And I don't want to keep Great. Todd and Tina for too long. Um, we're coming yeah. up on... On an hour, but it's been awesome talking. Here we got to get back to saving doing. the world, guys. So yeah. we, we got to wrap this up. I, oh, oh, my goodness. You got to put I, your capes back on. I'm going to keep an eye on what you guys are doing. And, Tina, it was incredible to meet you. And so nice to I, meet you. Yeah. Nice to spend time. Thank you so much. Yeah, good luck with Better Lab. I think the whole concept yeah. of, of bringing the voice of science into the world of design is... That's what we need to be doing right now. Let's go out and find those voices. Yeah, we, so, we, we welcome them. We welcome the conversation. There's a lot of fertile ground here, and we think a lot of good that can be done. So, yeah, again, thank you all for the opportunity to chat and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, all thanks right. for breaking some dishes with us yeah. today. We'll catch you guys later. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.